I'm just going to give a little bit of my background. I like this picture because it represents a little bit of what we are going to be talking about here this morning, which really, uh, diversity, variety, but united in purpose. And that's really, um, that's really what, that's part of the theme that we're going to be addressing today, is how can we work in diversity and still be united um, in, in mission, be united in heart, and, and, and really glorify God. Because one of the identifying, one of the, well, uh, perhaps the identifying mark of a disciple, what is it? When people asked, yes, love for one another, love for one another. And as I look around, I see some examples of that, but I also see some examples that are not of that, okay, unfortunately. Unfortunately, we've seen examples of this, such, such a lot of fighting, such a lot of animosity that it's really not a reflection of that love for one another, isn't it? Okay, so um, I, I'm also going to just give a little background. My, my background is um, about 14 years ago, and I'll tell the story, 15 years ago we moved to Portugal um, to help start a supporting ministry for the church, and it was interesting, that was by invitation of the union president, and he wanted it to be a supporting ministry. But uh, we moved there, and after that, um, I served in a uh, um, part-time basis as division health ministry director in the inter-European division that is based in, in Bern, Switzerland, but still living in Portugal and working with the ministry there. And then moved over to the General Conference as Associate Director for Health Ministries. When Dr. Handy Sides retired and Dr. Landless took his place, I took Dr. Landless's place. And, uh, and um, recently, I, we've changed that uh, into a, an honorary position because we went back to Portugal to continue uh, with the ministry there. And I've also been serving as ASI Europe. Um, now, I give you this background because it really reflects what's deep in my heart. And, I, and that is a blending of the organized, let's put it that way, the organized church work. It's not that the other one is disorganized, no, but it's the organized church work, the church work, the blending with, with the supporting ministries. And just for uh, um, clarity's sake, the church and the supporting ministries are sort of using a terminology that's a little bit different from what it was used maybe 10, 15 years ago, where the supporting ministry is a ministry that supports the work of the church, and it's in, it may not be problem-free. Sometimes you need to adjust things, but the heart of that ministry is to support the ministry of the church. So and the church structure. So you've got organizations that do this. ASI is one of these organizations. And, uh, but then you've got the, what is now more spoken of as the independent ministries. And the independent ministries, for this presentation's sake, and it can be debated somewhere else, okay, but for this presentation's sake, the in, when I talk about independent ministries, is ministries that sometimes have a very critical very antagonistic attitude towards the church. Um, 
Now, all that I'm going to be say, saying can be, um, uh, how can I say, you know, concepts that can be debated, okay? But um, this type of definition is the one that I observe is being more used nowadays. So the independent and the supporting ministries, they are both, in a way, independent from the church, uh, financially, um, in terms of bylaws and so on. So, but um, this, this is the, uh, the, 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 the kind of classification that I'm going to give. Now, let's talk a little bit about the context of today's presentation. What's happening out there that makes it necessary, perhaps, to have a presentation on this topic? Um, I, I'm going to give you this passage that uh, I saw, I heard this morning at one of the meetings, Elder Wilson quoted this, and I, I want to start off by, by, by presenting this. This is inspired testimony. It's actually found in 9116, and Ellen White wrote this. The leaders, leaders in God's cause, as wise generals. So generals, there's the concept of what when we talk about general? Leadership, okay? War, leadership, organization. And the wisdom that needs to come with it as wise generals. So we're not talking about just any general giving orders. You know, there are some generals. Well, probably the generals are the ones that give fewer orders. You know, it's the captains and all that. But, uh, but the general concept of leadership and the wisdom. And she mixes the two and she says the wise generals. So it's something good are to lay plans for advanced moves all along the line, okay? In their planning, they are going to give special study to the work that can be done by the laity, okay? It's interesting, the laity, the, the term that Ellen White uses, the laity, um, who, are, who are these in the church? Those are most of us, and um, except for a few here who are pastors, okay? Uh, but it's the laity, uh, the members, the ch what we call the church members today. Pastors are church members, but when we say church members, are usually the people who are not in church employment, okay, and pastors and so on. Now, and then listen to this. The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work, okay, rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. Now, this is not poetry. I, I, I don't know of one poem that Ellen White wrote or some fictional work. She says, the work of God in this earth can... Can what? Never. When Ellen White writes never, it's never. Okay, it's never be finished until the two... Join hands and work together, unite their efforts. Now, that is the background, the background of God's desire for us. That's it. It's very clear there. Very, very clear. Now, what do we observe in terms of, of, of practical application? When we think of laity and when we think of supporting ministries and, and independent ministries, and so on, which are the areas that most of these ministries work in? 
tell me, well, probably the biggest, the, 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 uh, the biggest area or the most common one. Health. And what was the other one? Community service, okay, which often has health and some humanitarian work and so on. And then another one, media, publications, okay, media publications, and TV and so on, okay, and, and health. Those are the two ones. And they are often driven by people who have a passion for this, isn't it? I mean, you, do, you don't start a ministry if you don't have a passion for that. If you think there's a lot of money in ministry, uh, well, you know, that's, it's, uh, it's not... <laughs> well, maybe some ministries have a lot of money involved in it, but uh, most often there's a lot of what? Sacrificial work. Sacrificial work. In preparing for this topic, when we got, we're going to look at, uh, at, the, at the Madison story, the Madison School. Do you know the Madison School? You've heard about that? I mean, those, it was amazing to see our Elder Sutherland and McGann, how they lived. They had some means, okay, which they, which they drew from to support themselves, okay? It, it was amazing. And they lived frugal lives, self-sacrificial lives. So, now, health, publications, media, those are the main areas, okay, the main areas. Now, there are others, orphanage work, this, which is the social community work, and so on. There are other areas, but these are the main areas. Now, um, my observation, and this, forgive me if it's not your observation, this is what I've observed. It's often in my area, which is the health area, the health area, we often observe the following. I observe the following. The church has very when I say the church, the inspired council, and we read what happened in Kellogg's time, Ellen White's time, and so on, the inspired council is, at least for some people, quite clear about certain practices for the good of the individuals and of the church. Okay? Those practices range from vegetarianism, healthy vegetarianism, okay, because uh, some French fries is a vegetarian option. It's okay. So, yeah. Okay, healthy vegetarianism. And um, so, and so th those practices vary. But, you know, and there are people in the health area, professionals, like doctors and nurses and so on. And there are lay members who feel very burdened about these issues. And so sometimes it may happen that they sense that there is a need for either health education or health services. According, And so they feel called, okay, and, and many use that word, they feel called by the Lord, and I'm not here to judge if that call is true or not. They feel called by the Lord to do that, okay? Either to start a vegan restaurant or even, you know, today we talk about veganism, but 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we're talking about just simple lacto-vegetarianism, okay? So either to start that and, 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 to, and to reach out to people, they start the restaurant and they have some health classes, they, they make friends with the community, they uh, invite them for Bible studies and so on. So that is one area. So I've seen people are burdened with something that usually is perceived as the church is not doing this or 
it's not doing these to the extent that I feel that the needs are being fulfilled. Okay, let's say, let's say we have an Adventist hospital nearby, and this hospital has two or three vegetarian restaurants that belong to it, but are in town. They've got Bible studies going on, or chaplains associated with these restaurants that are looking out and mingling with people at the tables, you know, and they're bringing out the contacts, and, you know, and they, if you as a church member come and see these, and feel you've got a burden for health, but you feel that what your burden is, is being, is being done, okay? So what is the likelihood of you starting something different? Probably, you would probably be feeling more attracted to go to the, to the man that is leading that, that says, look, this is great. How can I help you? Okay, do you need more help? And so you are more likely to do that. But... The reality is that the picture that I've described to you, it may be happening, but I don't know where. Okay? And I've traveled quite a bit around this world to, 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 to realize that it's, it's almost as rare as hen's teeth. Okay? And so when people read the council, um, Rightly or wrongly inspired, you know, they read the council and says, we should be doing this. So what do they feel? Well, nobody's doing it, so I want to do it. God, you're calling me to this, so you're going to provide this. I have no money. Many, most of the people have no money to build a restaurant. And, and so they say, Lord, if, it is, is, if this is your will, we, you're going to provide, isn't it? Isn't it what happens? I mean, these are not bad people. Most of them are not out there to fight the church or to, or to, you know, to correct the church. Most of the people are there to help. Um, so this is the area that I know more about, the health area, but there will be other areas, publications, media, and, and so on. So you've got this. This is the real context of today's, of today's. Now, there's another aspect to the context, and that is in this world, as it's always been, but more today, there is a huge diversity of thought and interpretation of issues. I mean, it's just, you are in a meeting, and you've been in meetings where you have a group of six or seven people. Everybody heard what was said, okay? Everybody heard what was said, and you, it's amazing to see how many different interpretations are there from, of what you heard was so clear. But you know what you heard that was so clear? It is so clear for the person that was here that it was not like you interpreted it. Do you see that? So issues, and, and, and then you mix that with our own sinfulness, which is many times um, self-centered, if not all the time, um, unless Christ changes us. Um, and, and, and I could go on and on with our own sinfulness. Okay? You mix the two. And you, what you have? A recipe for problems. Okay? Where people say, you know what? The seven, the seven trumpets mean this. And the other person says, no, it doesn't. It means this. And the other one says, no. It cannot mean that because of this, this, this. And then he goes on and centers his life around his own interpretation of the seven trumpets. And then that one, and you see 
instead of saying, brother, I don't see it the same as you. But one thing I know is that Christ is coming soon and he wants to change my heart of sin. Even though we may not see it eye to eye, brother, let's just preach the word, okay? And so I see these happening very seldom, very seldom. And so even if you are right, many times the ammunition that you use to preach the truth is lethal in many other areas, okay? So, you see, this is the context, and it applies to health. I tell you, how many of you have gone to churches where there's this controversy of veganism or total vegetarian diet over the lacto over vegetarian? We're not even talking about lacto over vegetarian with, with, um, with a meat-based, and uh, you know, we, how many of this is going How much of this is going on? It's, and, so, and it's so steeped in our sinful nature. It's so steeped where we judge people. You know what Jesus said? You should not judge. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't discern. We could talk about discernment for a whole morning. What is discernment? Okay? But um, we don't have the time for that. But you know, you shall not judge. So all of this. And then comes even, well, something else. In our culture, most of us were brought up in a Western society. I see some brothers from Africa. I was born in Africa. I grew up in Africa, but to a Western family. So, you know, I, I, I lived, even though I consider myself African, I lived in a Western family. I didn't sit in an extended family like the gatherings that many times your families have, okay? And there's a big difference between these groups. And the difference is the extended family has a very powerful influence on me as an individual. I don't do a lot, even if I wish to. I don't do a lot because I listen to my elders. And I listen to my father, who may not be my father, maybe my uncle, okay? But he's my father because he's my father's brother. So he has power over me. So the, the individual um, response to issues, it's more um, within a group. Isn't it, brothers? You, know, it's a, uh, you, you don't mess around a lot with this. Uh, and individualism is not very well perceived in, in such a, a strong family and, and, and social network. In the West... How have we been raised? From the time we were born. Be yourself. Your own self. Okay? Don't let anyone trample over you. Your ideas are, what are, going, are going to, what's going to guide you. Okay? So, now, you see, this country and Canada, throughout the, the most recent history, was, was, was steeped in these. Okay, in, 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 in survival. In, uh, and, and so it takes, you know, we need to understand this. And so we need to understand humans before we understand the topic of relationships between church and self-supporting ministries. It's our own self. It's our own self. How do we relate to others? Now, 
I live in the country, and I come from a family where consensus, consensus is important. I worked for a few years in the country of Namibia. The country of Namibia is a big country with a population of about 2.5 million. And so I worked with a very remote tribe in the desert. And I often, when I was traveling, you know, they become like my fathers, my, my mothers, you know, we, we became one with this tribe, the Himba. And uh, I often saw under the tree a group of about 10, 15 men sitting. And I knew what was happening. They were discussing uh, some problem, okay, some issue. And they stayed there for hours and hours and hours. Okay. And there was no voting. It was hours. And I often, you know, you often wonder why so many hours. Okay. You know what they were trying to reach? Consensus. Consensus. Where we move together as a group rather than the majority of one vote imposing its own decision on the others. Because you have not gained anything. You have not won. You may have won legally something, but you have not won people's hearts. So consensus, consensus, negotiation, exchange of ideas. There are countries in this world where polarization is the almost like the first step if there's a disagreement. Polarization. And when you have polarization, you immediately have defense and attack. Okay, just imagine whatever topic you you polarize. He Nick doesn't agree with me. If I go to Nick to try and work together something out together, and if he doesn't agree with me, I immediately uh, backtrack. Okay, and I go my own way. I l perceive Nick as I, it's a strong word as as my enemy. It's not okay, but and, and so in our minds. We emotionally and mind, because mind and the heart goes together, in physiology at least it goes together, and I think in practical life goes together. The mind and the heart relates, every time I think of Nick, what do I think of? The difference. Okay. Now, you can understand that in the Jewish mind of, Jew of Jesus' time, there was much more an idea of consensus. Although, polarization for every t imaginable um, topic was the prevalent thing. And so you see rabbis fighting against each other. Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the closest friends on earth. And so one believed that resurrection, the other one didn't. And you know, they, you know, sin is deep in our hearts. Now, let's move on. Now. Um, the church. Paul. Let's look at Paul's experience. Paul was... I, I never understood if Paul was paid by the synagogue or not, or, or, or the temple. You know, it doesn't say anywhere if he got some salary from them or not. But he worked, um, he worked for them, okay? And so Saul has his conversion experience. He never met Jesus personally. He met him on the road 
to Damascus. And then it was beautiful. Read Acts of the Apostle and put yourself in Paul's position, in Saul's position. So he goes there, and then Jesus comes to him. He is blind for three days. Uh, Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, who am I you persecuting? Okay? And so, and Jesus reveals himself. Saul is blind for three days. And then Jesus speaks to Ananias and tells him, look, go to that house. There's that man, Saul, and speak to him. And it's interesting what Ellen White says at the end of that chapter, beautiful chapter. She says, Jesus gave sanction to the authority of his organized church and placed Saul in connection with his appointed agencies on earth. Now, Ananias, who was a church member of that initial church, tiny church, was a representative of what? His agency on earth. Christ had now a church as his representative on earth, and to it belonged the work of directing the repentant sinner in the way of life. Okay, now then, when in the midst of his blind error and prejudice, Saul was given a revelation of Christ, whom he was persecuting, he was placed in direct communication with the church. Ananias represented the church, which is the light of the world. In this case, Ananias represents Christ and also represents Christ's ministers upon the earth who are appointed to act in his stead. In Christ's stead, Ananias touches the eyes of Saul that they may receive light. In Christ's stead, he places his hands upon him, and as he prays in Christ's name, Saul receives the Holy Ghost. All is done in the name and by the authority of Christ. Christ is the fountain. The church is the channel of communication. Very, very interesting. Now, Many have an idea that they are responsible to Christ alone for their light and experience, independent of his recognized followers on earth. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and his heart is touched with their woe. He has all power, both in heaven and on earth, but he respects the means that he has ordained for the enlightenment and salvation of man. He directs sinners to the church, which he has made a channel of light to the world. When I read this, especially this part, many have an idea that they are responsible to Christ alone for their light and experience. You know, it helps us place ourselves, ourselves as followers of Christ in the right context. We are not alone. We are part of a movement that represents Christ himself on earth. Now, This movement can make mistakes. It can make mistakes. And we'll see some of those. Okay? All right. Now, let's let's move on. I don't see in the Gospels, and we have to move on quickly, but uh, let's see the context of all we do as children of God. And I would call Christ's character. As I look at the Gospels, and as I look at God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament represented more visibly by Christ in the Gospels, I don't see him fighting against himself. I'll explain. Nowhere I see Christ using methods that he 
that, that, um, that he preached against. Like impatience or, or reflecting character, impatience. Do you ever see Christ impatient? Okay. Now, in our dealings with the church and the church's dealings with us, I've often seen impatience. Okay, so impatience. Judgment. Judgment. If there's anyone who can judge, who is judging, who is able to judge? God himself, okay, Christ. He says, do not judge. I see him crying for the ones who crucified him. When I look at the generals, and I see that they may not be wise, in my understanding at least, okay, do I have a deep love for them that makes me cry for them? Because if I don't, I should keep my mouth shut. And this is where the problem is. The relationships between churches and supporting ministries have to do more, and I say it again, with my own self. With my own self. Do I see in myself somebody who watches over Jerusalem, you know, looks over, and says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've tried to just protect you, just care for you, and you wouldn't want. Moved with compassion. Moved with deep love. Moved with, 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 not with the spirit of vengeance. Not with the spirit of controversy. But with the spirit of, of servitude. Okay, so as we look at this subject, we need to look at this as a basis. Christ's character. You cannot proclaim love, love. And then deal with these issues in a different paradigm. You will be like tombs that are whitewashed, but full of dead men's bones inside. So when we deal with controversies, when we deal with differences, if you don't have love for the people you are interpreting as being different to what you are, Brother, go home first. Sort out your heart. And then come back to the table. I have much that I can share with you about my own heart. About my own differences of opinion sometimes. And how I feel about, my, about these issues in my heart. And I say, Lord, please remove these from me. Because these are not yours. So, Christ's character of compassion, of discernment, of forgiveness, of patience, of all the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit needs to be there. Now, I'm going to tell you two stories. One story is my own story. Um, about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, we were on vacation in Portugal. I visited my, my, my parents there, and we got an invitation uh, to come and see the union president. And so I didn't know the union president. By the way, he is here with us. Uh, he's now a division president in Switzerland. I got an invitation to, say, to go to his office with my wife. And we, we said, OK, we'll go and see him. I was just on vacation. I was on my way to the UK to work there as a doctor. 
And so before we saw this Pastor Brito, um, we heard something that really touched me. He says, he's a man of prayer. Well, when you're going to talk to a man of prayer, you need to listen. Because if he's been listening to the right source, and if he's going to tell you something, then, then you need to be considerate of that. So I went to talk to this man of prayer. And he said to, he told my wife and I, you know, he just said, look, you're a missionary somewhere else. Why don't you come to this country and be missionaries here? We need to develop a health work. I really believe in health work mixed with the ministry. And we have nothing. Would you come here and do that? So he said, Pastor, we're going to pray about this. I didn't want to go. But I said, we're going to pray about this. I was hoping that God would say, no, it's not for you to go. I really didn't want to go. But in any case, then he said something. I believe in these now. But I don't know if the wise generals that are going to come after I leave um, believe in the same. You see? I don't know if after I leave, the others will believe in the same. The, the, the environment at that area at, in, in, at that time in Europe was one of closing down clinics and so on, and he was afraid of that. He didn't believe that the generals at that time were really doing what God wanted them to do. And him, as an under-general, okay, he wanted to protect this. And he said, let us set up a separate organization. It's going to be managed by its own board. He helped us found. He was one of the founders of that organization. And we set up this supporting ministry called the Portuguese Association for Preventing Medicine, or Vita Salus. Okay? And so that, through that association, the work has started. A lifestyle center is being built. We've got two other clinics and so on. And it was amazing to see how his words um, were words of wisdom. He left. His successor, who was his under-general at that time, he followed in the same line, but then came another group that knew nothing about these arrangements, agreements. And we sensed a different attitude, very different attitude. An attitude that, um, although not hostile, it was not hostile, not at all. Um, it just kept the distance between the church and the ministry. A very, very clear difference in the way it was dealing with the issue. Um, these are not bad people. Their perception is different, a perception on this issue. So we've gone through some challenges. We've gone through some challenges. That's one story. Another story. It happened about 100 years ago, just over 100 years ago. Two people were at Emmanuel Mission College. You know the story. Sutherland and McGann. They worked there. They worked and worked and worked and worked. I don't know if they were, those men ever slept. But they worked. And they had a vision that was given by whom? Ellen White herself, okay? Saying, God inspired me to do this. So they worked, and, one, and, and confrontation came. Confrontation came. Very tough confrontation. 
to the point that these two men, one day, and Ellen White told them that they had done the wrong thing when they did this. These men resigned. And Ellen White said that... And she, um, she told them this. Okay, you did the wrong thing. You've got your own sin in this. But these men resigned, and they went where? South. You know the story. They went south. Ellen White, as a good mother, went with them and looked for this property in Nashville, near Nashville, Tennessee, and they set up what was known as the Madison College, wasn't it? The Madison School. And it was amazing to see Ellen White's involvement with this institution, which was a was going to be the first supporting institution of the church. Created its own board. I read a master's uh, thesis of uh, Cruzon. Uh, it's a very interesting document there. And the first board, did it have all the church conferences, you know, the church conferences presidents and all that? No. It was a group that Ellen White was a member of. Actually, it was the only board she was a member of in this, in this self-supporting institution. And they lived sacrificially. I mean, those people, they sacrificed. They lived, I think it was $13 a month. At that time, it was too little money. You're okay for the two treasures here and the under treasure? $13 a month for the institution. Okay, Probably represented, what, $1,300 today? They lived on a shoestring. Okay? And Ellen White writes something about it. She says... Oh, by the way, and the church opposed this movement fiercely, fiercely. The church was not in favor. The Southern Union was not in favor. General Conference even, they, they opposed this, 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 this school. And Ellen White wrote, and you can find these in special, special testimonies in uh, volume B. Ellen White wrote the following, and I'm sorry for the long text, but they're so so, so many precious things here that we learn from. Among brethren engaged in various lines of the Lord's work, there should ever be seen a desire to encourage and strengthen. Different lines of work, what should they be doing? Encouraging and strengthening. And remember the context, a self-supporting school. And then she says, The Lord is not pleased with the course of those who make the way difficult for some who are doing a work appointed to them by the master. If these critics were placed in the position of those whom they criticize, they would desire far different treatment from that which they give their brethren. In other words, and this, she's writing, I believe, she, to, the, to the president of the Southern Conference. Straight words. I had never read them. <laughs> and I had never read them. And I was really touched by this. We are to respect the light that led Brother McGunn and Sutherland to purchase property and establish the school at Madison. Let no one speak words that would tend to de demerit their work. Were they doing something wrong? Let's, 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 let, let's look at these. Were they doing something that was morally wrong? That it was ethically wrong? That was spiritually wrong? They were not. The church could not point a finger to them and say, look, you are being dishonest. You are being fanatics. You are being this, you are being that. 
The church could not. It was based on the perception of us and them. Control. Us and them. I don't know if it was control. It probably was. I wasn't there. <laughs> and uh, I can't judge. I try to discern, but uh, even by discernment, sometimes it's wrong. But it looks like it could be control. I do not charge any of anyone with an intention to do wrong. See this? See, when we say us and them, it's almost like they are doing something wrong to us. And Ellen White says, I do not charge anyone with an intention to do wrong. Which for me is a big lesson. I've sat in meetings where I've listened to people defend different points of view and people's perceptions of the other group being, you are wanting to do something wrong to me. You are trying to... When that was not the intention, I realized afterwards, it was the intention to protect something. Look at Saul. Look at Saul himself. If you think of Saul, that was the ultimate. I mean, he was in, involved in the ultimate work of extermination. Veganism is nothing compared with what Paul was doing. Paul killed. Even if he didn't, he let people kill. And why was he doing it? Because he felt that was the right thing to do. In the name of who? God. But when he saw Stephen, Ellen White says that his heart started wavering. The Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. So, it was then after his conversion that he realized the wrong was. But he wasn't there trying to be evil. He was defending. And so when we look at church officers that sometimes have attitudes that are, you know, like super protective and whatever that we don't understand, hold on. Don't judge. Do not put in their hearts an intention of doing wrong. When you look at supporting ministries and you think their intention is doing evil, be careful. Be careful. If all the church is doing is saying, hold on, we don't agree with this, and the attitude with which they do this is a Christ-like attitude, you need to pay attention. If a supporting ministry is doing that, which is considered wrong, but you don't see in the actions, in the character of those people, anything that misrepresents Christ, be careful. Talk. Pray together. Talk. Don't just necessarily put intent of evil in people's hearts. Um, then it says here, I do not charge anyone with an intention to do wrong, but from the light I have received, I can say that there is danger that some will criticize unjustly the work of our brethren and sisters connected with the school of medicine. Let every encouragement possible be given to those who are engaged in an effort to give to children and youth an education in the knowledge of God. To the workers in medicine, I would say, withstand the attacks. Be of good courage. Do not lose faith. By not losing faith, she is also implicitly saying, do not misrepresent Christ. In your lives, in your attitudes, in your writings, 
in your practice. Do not misrepresent Christ. Do not lose faith. Your heavenly Father has not left you to achieve success by your own endeavors. So in other words, a position of humility, of perseverance, but never to use the ammunition that the enemy uses when he deals with things like this. Christ-like character. And that's what Sutherland and McGann had. They persevered. Persevering is not sin. If God calls you to do something that for some reason your church administrators feel that is not appropriate, it's not that it's wrong. I mean, but we'll tell some more stories. But, you know, humbly look at your heart. Take away that anger. Ask the Lord to take it away. And perseverance is appropriate. Perseverance is appropriate. You may find that you may say, look, Mr. President, I, you know, I, I really see the burden for this. And um, I don't see that this matter is being addressed. I really feel a burden. Perseverance is appropriate. See, there's a good point here. These are wonderful points. Trust in him, and you will work in your behalf. It is your privilege to experience, to demonstrate the blessings that come through walking by faith and not by sight. Work with an eye single to the glory of God. You cannot walk with, the, with an eye on the glory of God if you have your own, in your own heart your selfishness coming up all the time. You can't do that. You see, when somebody tells you, you can't do that, or you shouldn't be doing that, and you respond with aggression, you can't have an eye on the glory of God at that time. But you respond perseveringly, humbly, submissively, but moving in the direction that you believe God has called you. It's a different matter. Yes, there's a person just... Um, let me just finish this section, and I'll, I'll, we have, okay. Now comes something else that really struck me about medicine. The Lord will give you, I, I'm going to skip this part, and I'm going to, the Lord will give you your spirit and life if you will not permit yourselves to become discouraged. Now, discouragement is often uh, mixed with, um, with antagonism with remorse and with anger. Have you, have you noticed those, those discouragement also many times comes with anger? Anger because you feel that you've been mistreated, that, um, that the church is dealing wrongly with you. He says, don't let those come to your heart. We trust that from your brethren, you may receive the help of harmonious action. You see the beautiful, harmonious actions Of prayers, and of pennies, Mr. Treasures. Interesting. In my perception of supporting ministries, he said they should be run supporting, self-supporting, not requiring the church to, but they are examples, and this is one of them, where the Spirit of the Lord actually inspired Ellen White to say, the means that you receive as a church should go to that ministry. And now, how do we explain that, Mr. Under-Treasurer, in today's world, and Mr. Treasurer? For me, 
with my foot, one foot in each, I, 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 I tell you. It is something that the Lord will need to guide us. The thing is that the church says, look, I'm going to help that one. Next, tomorrow, I'll have another 10 on my door, um, to, knocking on the door and says, we are also worthy children, and we also want a share in the pie. Okay, how do you differentiate? Well, sometimes the other 10 coming, begging as well. You gave to that one, gave it. You know, you've got children. They all do that, isn't it? Okay, they all do that. We need God's wisdom. But it's not against God's will for the church in special circumstances to actually give. And she actually says proportionately in another passage. Proportionately. Now, Mr. Undertreasure, I let you decide what you, how do you interpret that one. But, uh, you know, that is... This, um, the last sentence. Those who have in charge the disbursement of funds coming to the southern field should not fail to render proportionate aid to the Madison School. Now, listen, read that one, and that is... That, you see, what this tells me is that we need to be so connected with the Holy Spirit that he will guide us in our actions. He will inspire us in our actions. This was a self-supporting school that Ellen White is encouraging to receive some funds. To, not for the running, not for the operations, but for the... For the, for the building of the, the expansion of that school. Now, uh, now, how do we, now from a practical point of view, incorporate all of these into practical stories? First, we need to consider the church, appointed agency by the Lord to be our family here. Point number one, there's no doubt about that. Point number two, God calls people, lay members, to do his work. Well established. Biblically, plenty of stories. Spirit of prophecy, plenty of stories. And then thirdly, God expects those two to mingle. Okay? That's that's well established. Okay? How do we deal with it practically? And I'm going to tell you a few stories. Okay. Um, I'll start with this one. It's in the health area. About three years ago, I received word that in a certain continent, there was a man that was expounding and promoting some ideas that didn't seem very, um, how can I put it in a nice way? Um, they, they didn't seem very, very acceptable, very constructive. Very Christ-centered and spiritual prophecy-based. So I inquired about that, and, and I realized that the testimonies of people who had witnesses of, of what was happening, was, they were consistent. They were very consistent. This person was doing some things, practices, and because this is recorded, I cannot go into details because I don't want to uh, expose the person. Okay? But let us say... Um, that they were very worrying, very worrying, going into areas that really did not fall into line with biblical teaching and the spirit of prophecy and medical science. Things like if uh, you are baking bread and the bread doesn't come nice, it's because of sin in your life, okay? Because it affects 
affects something in your sweat or something like that. It's sin in your life, sister, if, bread, if your bread is not coming right. Okay? Um, and this person was becoming more and more popular. More and more popular. Was a self-supporting worker and in this continent was creating big division in churches. And um, how do you deal with that in a constructive way? A person was claiming to cure AIDS and uh, even trisomy 31, 21, which is Down syndrome that could be cured by things like that. And, and pastors, even union presidents, were very favorable to the ideas of uh, this man. Clearly, somebody who understood felt that his calling was to do something and promote these ideas were, which were unique, which were different, which were revolutionary, because if you can cure Down syndrome, I mean, can you imagine if you can cure Down syndrome? It's, uh, or AIDS. And I've heard him uh, personally saying that cancer is probably one of the easiest ones to cure. Uh, so all of these was coming, and this was growing and growing. It was getting more invitations. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with this? First of all, let's talk about the character of Christ. Never let your own character come to the front, okay? Pray for love for those people. Second, the Lord gives the church a mandate as well, and I can give you the passages, and gives the ministers a mandate to protect the church. So what we did, okay, we got some professionals around. Professionals who are Christ-centered, biblically-centered in their practice, they are evidence-based as well, and the spirit of prophecy. So they first put the Bible, then put the spirit of prophecy, and then put evidence. If the evidence doesn't coincide with those two evidences out for the time being, it will come another one that will put them in line later on. You know, the church is used to that. When everybody was saying smoking was good for you, what was the church saying? No, no, okay, until, and they quoted evidence. Smoking is good for bronchitis. 60 years ago, smoking was good for bronchitis. Today, Smoking is not good for bronchitis. So, all right, so, so those, those in line. So, so we've got these you know, God-fearing people, and they wrote, they analyzed the materials and so on, and then we advised the church. We said, look, handle this. So the local division health ministries director personally spoke to him about that. You know, follow the Christ's principle when you have something, you know, go and speak to him. And if he refuses, take another witness or two. Or... So it was dealt in that manner. But it was clear. Now, I don't know what happened because then I left the general conference. But I saw Christ dealing with it, Christ-like dealing with it. And that touched me. That impressed me. It was not just a matter of out, you know. It wasn't. It was constructive. That's one story. There's another story. Um, um, OCI, you're familiar with OCI? Outpost Centers International? Okay, OCI. OCI is a network of organizations. It has over 100 ministries. And some of these ministries in the health area are doing or were doing some things that were really not uh, the practices that reflected the Christ method in the best way, which Christ is based in his own creation, in physiology, 
and in health, the science that he gave us. So, um, so there were some ministries like that, and so we came together, and um, we looked at this issue. Because, you know, these ministries, they feel burdened to employ some of these methodologies. Let's say, for example, and I'm going to name a few because I'm, I know that uh, um, these are not uh, evidence-based. But let's look at blood, uh, li live blood analysis, for example. Most of you don't know what it is, but live blood analysis. For live blood analysis, there's absolutely no evidence that, that, is, that, is, um, that has a scientific basis for it. Or another one, you know, you can, you know, you have many people using acupuncture or using iridology or reflex, even in our own church, okay? And people feel burdened. They feel called by God to do that. They feel, they will tell you, you know, this is uh, in accordance. But how did OCI deal with that? Well, constructively. And so in line with what the church uh, statement on this is, which is nothing of these things that are not biblical, not spirit prophecy, and not evidence-based. They are not practices that are acceptable in church institutions. Because there's just no connection. It's besides the spiritual connections that are with iridology and, and all of that, which are not Christ-centered. So OCI put out a statement that passed through the executive committee and so on and the board and said, look, to be members of this organization, you do need to comply with this. You're not, you don't get involved in these practices. Now, for somebody who doesn't believe in belonging to a group and in a way having the group have any I use that in inverted commas, any authority, they will, and we've had an organization that said, well, if that's the case, I'm out. And the organization left. Okay? The world is free. You are free. The world is not free. It's bound to Satan. And, uh, but, uh, but you are free to choose. See, belonging to a group that has been appointed, if that group, in its best understanding, and I've seen it, is following the principles. They're being the wise generals. If, and, and kindly deal with this matter. Not in the spirit of aggression and polarization, but kindly deal with this matter. I tell you, that gives me safety, personally. Because I have one thing that I've realized about myself. I don't know about you, about myself. My vision of things is very narrow. If you, I don't know if that's, a, that's a, 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 a reflection of growing a little bit older when you don't realize that you just don't know many, many things. You know, your vision is narrow. And if that vision can be complemented by the vision of God-fearing man in a group, then I must pay attention. I must pay attention. And in a supporting ministry that comes in, sometimes in points of confrontation because of differences, okay, but if you come to an understanding to a group that, hey, maybe there's something here that I need to consider. What my brethren from the church are telling me, is it really against the Bible, the spirit of prophecy? If it is, if it is, then I can humbly and prayfully perhaps persevere 
in my understanding of the issue. But we need to submit our egos, ourselves, to God. And then, and then listen, explain, listen, spend time together. Board meetings are the worst places to make decisions. I tell you, I, I get scared of, of major decisions in board meetings. I wish for a major decision people could spend two, three days, like my Himba friends, and really understand why the other one is saying what he's saying, where he's coming from, because most misunderstandings come exactly because of misunderstandings. From my wife, I learned this. Honestly, how many times I've blamed my wife of being guilty of certain things where I was far away from her understanding on the issue. Hmm? Why should we deal with the church in a different manner? We are all humans and part of the family. How many times have you labored with your children when you realized that they were going in the wrong course and you kicked them out of the house because they disagreed with you? <laughs> Sometimes when you were impatient, how did you feel when you went to, to sleep that night? Hmm? You asked the Lord for forgiveness. Shouldn't we deal in the same way? with these issues. You're going to Senegal. Some of the brethren there, as they see this big, boas, bold, shaved hair, arrive there, and he says, what are you coming to do here, man? Coming to do agriculture or whatever. Man, you, I, you mean we don't know how to do agriculture? Is, are you coming to teach us? And so they may have a defensive attitude. So they watch you. And you know what they're going to watch you for? Your character. Your character. Your character. How you relate to your children, how you relate to your wife, how you relate to them, to the disagreements, to the differences, your character. And you know it's your character. It's Christ through your character that is going to conquer hearts. hearts. Does it take time? Oh, yes. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time. I'll never forget I came to a meeting one day uh, executive committee meeting of an organization that I don't, I'm not going to tell you because uh, it's pointless, you know, it's pointless. We have our own ideas. We came up with a plan that was so clear for health evangelism for the whole country. You know, and we were hammered like merciless. I mean, just, I, I couldn't believe that was happening. I couldn't believe. I left that meeting ready to quit ready to quit. I said, boy, I'm just trying to help. And they hammered me because they perceived me differently. It was amazing. But after a few years, things changed. Things changed completely. So, um, and then I've got one more story and then we, we wrap up. Have an organization represented here, ASI member called Light. Have you heard about Light? Okay, Lay Institute for Global Health Training. Light is one of the most amazing ministries that I've seen and been a part of. Very indirectly, from far, I've been a part of it. But light is amazing. Light is perceived in certain parts of the world as a blessing, in others as a curse. Okay, you go to certain places and they say, no, we don't want it here. Okay. And uh, because of misunderstandings, 
because of misunderstanding. So, and I tell you what happened. Uh, I like the, 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 the people are my, are my friends, my, uh, so I, I have the freedom to explain. The light curriculum is basically, it's a six month or it's a one month course of lay, uh, of, of, to train lay people. It's amazing, the, a blessing for the church. And this curriculum, I looked at it in the nutrition area, which is my area, uh, in medical and, and in medical work. And so I looked at that and I, and I heard that, the, you know, there were some complaints that, you know, it was, it was too extreme and this and that. And I looked at the curriculum. I looked at the curriculum and I saw, actually, a series of quotations from Ellen White. Basically, quotation after quotation. Now, I knew the teachers and the directors of light. And I said, these people are not unbalanced. They adapt. They go to a country and they, they feel that it's not safe to to have a total vegetarian diet, they will not promote it. And says, you know, do the best with the milk and the eggs and things like that. You know, they are poor communities. They don't have access to B12 or B12 enriched soy milk. Soy milk, what's that? I mean, what? Almond milk? Almonds? What's that? I mean, you come to some, to Rwanda. Soy milk, where is it? Brother? Soy milk? Maybe in a health food store in Kigali, you'll find one at $4 a packet. Okay? Maybe. You go to the rural community in, in Rwanda and you promote soy milk. You have to, your love for people has to adjust to, has to encompass all of this. So what happened is that the light leadership, they are like that. They go to Rwanda and they see and they, they help the people with the best they have. But what happened was a few individuals were taking those passages and twisting it in one direction and preaching a gospel which was not Christ-centered, neither was it Ellen White-centered, nor was it evidence-based. And so, obviously, you've got problems. So we said, okay, I asked Light, would you be open for us to have a look at this? And he said, sure, sure. So they sent me the curriculum. I looked at that and I read and I adjusted it a few times, you know, a few things. And I said, I said, look, here is a proposal. I didn't impose, but here's a proposal for your curriculum. Didn't take anything from what was there. Just put it in a context that the spirit of prophecy in other passages puts. And so they said, wow, this is wonderful. It's good, you know. So we worked on a few things there. And so they produced a new curriculum for that area in the most gracious manner. Most gracious manner. You see, it's this spirit which I believe, you ask the question, how this unification comes? It comes from God's presence in both sides. And if one day you feel that God's spirit is not in that person, pray for him. Don't fight him, but pray for him. And patiently, patiently, patiently work. Um, so Light has a new curriculum, adjusted with the input of people that they trust and they love, and it has a new curriculum. Now, these are examples of this type of relationship, and I'm going to wrap up now just by giving <coughs> some practical things. We almost finished. We started late, so we can finish a little bit late. If you have a business, 
It's your own business, okay? Your own business. And you want to say, I want to share Christ through my business. And you put little things in your invoices or whatever. I mean, that is one model of sharing Christ as a self-supporting. I mean, your own business, your own company. You make money and you invest that money. Even then, even then, you need to feel part of this wonderful movement, which is God's church. Inside of you, that, I believe, needs to be what you pray for, to be part of this. Now, there are other organizations type, the self-supporting type, which people usually have as a non-profit organization. You have it is written, you've got uh, light, you've got... These are non-profit organizations. They do make money, they do make money because they, they need to live, but it's not for profit, okay? So my suggestion is this. Keep communication open with the church leaders from the very beginning. From the very beginning. There are some people who have a burden to go to India or Bhutan or whatever. My advice is, if you have a burden for that, go humbly and speak to the church there. First, first, go there and say, brother, you know what? I, the Lord has placed in my heart a burden for these people, for this area or whatever. You're from here. You know the area. I've got some ideas of how this can be done. But, you know, I come here just to serve. How can I be of service for these people? Sometimes you're going to be welcomed in an unfriendly manner. Be prepared for that. Jesus was too. Okay? But most often, people are going to watch you naturally. They don't know you. They're going to watch you. Be prepared for the long-haul flight. These are not short flights. These are long flights. And so be prepared for that. And then do something. When you start organizing the legal aspects of your organization, you say, Pastor, can I invite you to be a board member of my organization, of our organization? Don't use the word mine because it's not yours. Okay. Of our organization. Can I ask you to? Or if you can't, I know you're busy. Can you appoint somebody? When you give some, a pastor the authority to appoint somebody from his team that he trusts to come, you're basically telling your pastor what? I trust you, pastor. Okay? Invite them. I've seen many mistakes being made because people don't do this. They create their own organizations, and then they say, oh, man, we should invite somebody. <sighs> yeah. Two, we should invite somebody to what? To avoid problems. That's not the point of inviting somebody. You invite somebody to help you create a better program. You see that? Invite the president and say, Mr. President, I know you're busy, so appoint somebody from your team if you want, but we would love to have that. And in your board meetings, you know, because one man's report is often biased, positively or negatively, in your board meetings, invite the whole administration to be there. You say, that's dangerous. Well, if you think it's dangerous, your own thoughts are dangerous. If you think it's dangerous, then your own thoughts are dangerous. You get, you get the point where I'm getting? Okay, if you think that by inviting the whole administration to come, even as invitees, just to observe, to see, to feel a part of it, then your own perception perhaps needs to, to be readjusted. Perception of it. 
I tell you, this has helped organizations. Iron out, iron out some, some, some sharp areas because of communication. And then another, another practical thing that I would like to, to, uh, to su suggest is don't come with pre-planned, strict, uh, unchangeable plans. I've just recently observed an organization that's very well known to you. I'm not going to say what it is. A very well-known organization that has come to a country saying, we are going to develop a mission school of evangelism here, or a school of evangelism or something like that. Short course, four months. But they came to the union to inform the union. You can imagine what the response was when the union has its own evangelism department. Okay, So you can imagine. They were not welcomed. You remember the school you were part of? There were some issues, but it was a school that was a mixture of union and OCI and the local ministry. We worked together. But you come with an idea and you present it for discussion. You may need to adjust it if you're part of this body. Not losing the target, but the final result, when you move together, the final result is much better than what you would have achieved if you had worked on your own. Brothers and sisters, we have run over time. Uh, there's much more than one could say about finances. For example, there's some cases where we expect the church to finance us. Don't expect the church to finance. Don't expect what you've read there. It's God's expectations for the church, not yours. It's a difference to be expecting the church to help us and between that and God expecting the church to help you. It's a difference. You see, the church responds to the movings of the heart, the spirit in the heart, sorry, the movings of the spirit in the heart. And if they want to help you, they want to help you. One day I, went, I walked into a meeting I was invited to a meeting, and um, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was a church meeting, and as a self-supporting ministry, I, I was invited there. And suddenly, the union president asked me, how is your ministry? So I said, well, you know, it's actually going through some challenges. He asked me. I wasn't expecting them to do anything. And so I explained very briefly to the whole executive committee. I said, doctor, can you wait outside a little bit? So when I came back, they said, look, we've just voted to help you out. You see, I was not expecting that. But God works in the hearts of people. Go to God first, above all things, and ask him to put his character in you. That will be the single most important ingredient in the relationship between your ministry and the church, and between the church we love and the ministry. The practical examples, I could write books and books on those. But it, they are not so important as the own, the, your own book that you're going to be writing, that you are writing. That is your own experience as a church administrator. Your own experience. How you let Christ be reflected in the way you deal with this. And supporting ministries, that's your book you're writing. How you relate to the church. In this united united 
it's God's dream for his church that we stop seeing us, ourselves, as us and them, but that we are united. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we need you in our lives to remove the sins that have so often clouded our judgment and our feelings. I pray, Father, that you may be reflected in us as a church, that if there are things that are there, and I'm sure they are because Laodicea is here, it's in my heart, and it was not poetry that John wrote. If Laodicea is real, then my own sin is real. And my dealings with the church and with the supporting ministries, Lord, they need to be guided and inspired by you in the spirit of Christ, the spirit of humility, the spirit of perseverance, Lord, because we cannot be anyone's conscience. And if you're calling people to do your work, Lord, like Jesus said, look, if he's not for us, let him work. If he's not against us, let him work, Father. I pray that you may give us this unity, that you may give us your spirit, that we may do that which was foretold and prophesied in Ellen White, through Ellen White. That the end will only come when we work together. We want that to happen today, Father. And I pray that your spirit may lead us in that direction. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are present here, that you may be with them, that you may inspire them, that you may comfort them, that you may give them a spirit of humility and of love. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.